Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. I think you're really going to enjoy today Bobby Marks, NBA insider, former assistant GM of the New Jersey and Brooklyn Nets, is our guest today. He's going to talk to us. He's a uh, a cap expert, a capologist, as we call him in the NBA. Uh, he knows the salary cap, the luxury tax, and every draft choice and every future draft choice that every team has. As an NBA person that all of us love to follow, I think you're going to find it to be incredibly fascinating and really knowledgeable. So after this break, we're going to come back with Bobby Marks. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Excited to have as our guest today a longtime friend, Bobby Marks, who is at ESPN Insider. I went to Montclair State in Jersey. You went to Marist College. What the hell is an insider? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know because I'm not breaking news, <laughs> but I can give you a perspective that uh, I guess not a lot of people have just been, but had been working in a, uh, in a front office for, for 20 years. So I can give you the layman's terms uh, mm-hmm. as far as when a, uh, when a transaction happens. So uh, hopefully that, uh, that helps people out. You know, uh, you know, as our past crossed many times, uh, you know, you know, back, when I was in the league, uh, and most of the time at the end, uh, when I was with the Knicks, um, and, uh, you were with the New Jersey Nets at the time and talk about, you know, your path as far as, you know, you got in like at 22 years of age as a, as a, as an intern coming right out of college, you got with the Nets, I believe, correct. You know, you came right with them and, and talk about how you grew in that organization. Well, yeah. I mean, I think as I always tell when I try to mentor kids in college and, um, you know, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, my path was not easy. <laughs> I was, and it, it started in college really, Brandon. I mean, I was not a good col- a good student at all. And it took me to my junior year uh, when the light kind of went on and I didn't really have much of a choice because I was going to probably get kicked out of school. <laughs> and uh, I played football at Marist, uh, didn't play my sophomore year because I was academically ineligible. Uh, my grades were terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, the head coach and basically my parents gave me an ultimatum and said, like, you know, either you're going to be at a community school, uh, we're going to send you back home and then you're going to have to figure it out on your own. And I kind of that really that put the light on for me uh and and what usually when when you're in college you your your senior year is when you're coasting mm-hmm. uh my senior year i was taking 18 credits a semester i was taking winter session i was taking summer session just to try to 
just to try to graduate. And, you know, when I, when I, towards the end, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I needed to do an internship because I was still six credits shy. Um, I had a friend who lived in Hoboken, New Jersey with uh, Scott O'Neill, who is now the president of the Sixers, who uh, Scott at the time was selling tickets for the Nets. He worked he was an intern for me in Detroit and then with the Nets, uh, Scotty worked for me. Yep. And uh, I sent a resume to the Nets um, looking for an internship and uh, went and interviewed the day before Thanksgiving in in 94 and wound up getting hired uh, as an intern in in PR. My major was communications and um, worked in there for from May of 95 to September of 95, writing press releases and making copies and making copies of newspaper clips and a little bit doing uh, a little bit of, of everything. And, you know, by the time my internship was over, I would send out the standard uh, letter to uh, mm-hmm. pro sports teams. You would get the standard letter back. <laughs> we'll keep it on file. We'll call you if you have anything. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and Willis Reed was the general manager at the time, probably one of the, the, the great Raiders. guys of all time, um, besides players of all time. And I wound up walking down the hall and I said, uh, Willis, I said, I didn't intern for you guys, um, you know, last uh, quarter here. I said, um, I introduced myself. I said, um, I will, I will be willing to stay on for free um, as an intern. Uh, I don't need money um, in your department to learn how basketball operation goes. And he said, sounds good. (laughs) And you know, Brendan, back then we didn't, I mean, there was, um, there was three coaches, uh, what two scouts? Um, the department, our department was like ten people. <laughs> yeah, mean, no, because I was there with Chuck from and Rick Carlisle and Paul Silas ninety two, ninety three, ninety three, ninety four. So that was just preceding that. So I know the Seacock is seven and the whole routine there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so I, I interned for Willis from uh, from this. I guess the, the fall of ninety five until January. It was great. I mean, it was myself and uh, our secretary, Donna, mm-hmm. and um, we didn't have many people, but I was doing everything. I mean, from Washington uh, practice gear to working practices to driving players to breaking down video clips for Willis. I mean, learning, trying to learn the salary cap, like, you know, basically, you know, 20 different jobs. And um, by the time my internship was over, I remember Willis and, and Jim Jim Lamparello, who was our executive vice president at the time, called called me in um, the, uh, the his office, and they said, "They said we're going to offer you a um, we're going to offer you a job, and it's paying um, eighteen thousand dollars a year." <laughs> you hit the lottery! And, wow! Yeah, and yeah. I um, and I said. I'm in. <laughs> and um and they said, Okay, we'll start. And it was basically doing the same thing um that I was doing beforehand and it was great. I mean, I lived at home, I was making um, you know, I had, I had graduation money, I didn't need a much, I I was fifteen minutes. Um and and it was great, and I and that's kinda how I started and that's how I kinda got my foot in the door. So uh when now, as you progressed on in the organization, uh, you had some really amazing people of influence come in to the front office that 
you know, really mentored you and brought you along. Talk about some of those icons in the league. I think they are. Well, it started with Willis. Uh, yep. That was, and, and I had Willis, but I, you know, Willis was a short time. You know, yep. we really just ha- I had him for the 95, 96 season, but I would, I was basically Willis's, um, Willis's driver. Um, he lived in Cedar Grove at the time. I lived in Little Falls. So, yep. uh, you know, either after game or, be, or you know, the mornings I would pick him up and I would and I would drive him. So we'd spend a lot of good time together. And then and then uh, Coach Cal Perry, John Cal Perry came in and um, the May of 96, uh, right off that run at, at UMass, getting them to the final four. Um, and so I worked for Cal for three years. And looking back on it, it was a great three years. But at the time, I hated it. <laughs> I really did, Brendan, because I wasn't raised in that college mentality of a manager. Um, so I was not used to the, the grind of, of that, um, basically being on call for, for 24 hours. And I, you know, I worked my, my tail off for, for Cal for those uh, three years. But now I look back on it and I thought I think it was probably the best thing that could have could have happened because uh, the, he installed a lot of great work ethics there. Yeah. Uh, and then I had um, I had, uh, you know, besides coaches, I had Cal, I had uh, Don Casey for a year and a half, um, Rod mm-hmm. Thorne for 10 years. Um, which was probably one of the greatest sure. experiences ever because, you know, when Rod took over in, in, in 2000, I mean, this was, this was a, you know, this was a dead end front organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really was. And we hired Byron Scott in, uh, before the 2000, um, the 2000, 2001 season drafted Kenyon at number one. And, uh, you know, the first year with Byron, you know, Byron had, uh, Kenyon, Stefan Marbury and Steven Jackson, <laughs> Not the three easiest players to coach at all there. And we sputtered along and, you know, won 25, 26 games. And then we made the Jason Kidd trade. And that changed everything for everyone. I yeah. mean, uh, professionally and personally. And, uh, you know, we go to two NBA finals. We go to the playoffs for six years in a row um, and had a, had a great run. We basically had two two different sets of teams. We had the, the Kidd uh, Jefferson Kittles Martin team. And then we had the kid Jefferson Carter team that the Vince Carter team. And there was, you know, and from that Oh four to Oh six. And then, you know, we hit the rebuild button. And as you know, rebuilding is not easy. And if, if you don't do it the right way, it's like, you're kind of just sputtering your wheels here. Um, you know, Rod leaves in 2010, Billy King comes in, uh, worked for Billy for five years and, uh, two years in Newark, three years in Brooklyn. Um, you know, trying to make you know high risk trades, win now mentality. Uh, you know, get to the playoffs for three years in a row uh, with with certainly mixed results, and um, and now I'm in the media <laughs> and, uh, and and loving it. But I've learned a lot I, and um, a lot from a. I, I think I've taken a little bit from from everybody um, that that I've worked for. You know what, and, and and this is an important thing. Uh, if you you know you're blessed to be in the NBA for a long time as you were and I was, and uh, <clears throat> you know, and I was with six franchises over thirty years plus. And uh, one of the things that's going to happen is change. You know, change. You mentioned a lot of changes just in you know coaches, GMs, presidents, etc. And there's also going to be change uh, in our careers during that. You know, time, the time of, you know, like our folks of, you know, working at the same job their entire career, that doesn't happen anymore in life or in sports, especially. Uh, but now when 
after all those years of dedication and everything, you make the tough move to Brooklyn as an organization. And then when your boss, as what happened to me in New York, when my boss got let go with Isaiah and then someone else comes in and then you are, you know, kind of, you know, you're kind of a casualty, so to speak. What went through your mind as you're now out? Well, you know, when you work for a company for, for so long, you, you kind of have that, I guess, that false security that you are untouchable, mm-hmm. let's say. And um, I remember in, in 2010, um, I had always been, you know, an at-will employee, never had a contract. Um, when I got the title of assistant GM um, and a contract that comes with it, you know, I remember Billy saying basically like, you know, you've basically straddled the fence for a long time. Now you are, you know, now you're in the hot seat. You know, you really are. You're in the, in, in the firing squad because you're, you are, you are a decision maker now. Um, so I, I never really thought, I thought I'd be with the Nets forever. I, I really did. I never really thought that um, I, I had been, I've been in rooms where I've let people go, um, but I've never been on the other side of it. And I remember in, uh, we had just, uh, we were playing Atlanta in the playoffs, 2000, uh, the 14, 15 season. Uh, I knew there were some meetings uh, coming up with uh, ownership and management. Uh, I had an option in my contract uh, that had, that needed to be exercised by, um, by early June there. And, um, you know, they, we lost Atlanta that we had these meetings and I, um, gotten a call, um, probably about a week before uh, Memorial day weekend. And they said, well, we like, you know, we're gonna start meeting with people. We'd like to meet we, the Tuesday after, uh, Memorial day and really didn't pay much attention to it. Maybe, you know, maybe the cross in my mind that this was going to go in a different direction kind of came about. And I, and I remember walking into a conference room and Brennan, you know, when you, whenever you walk in a conference room, you see the person head of HR sitting there You know and, good. and Billy was sitting there. I, and I, as soon as I walked in, I said to myself, I am screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked in and, you know, they went through everything. I mean, I, I, I don't really remember the conversation because you're kind of a little bit shell shocked. Yeah. Um, you kind of blur things out. Um, you know, you go through the paperwork, you go through everything, severance, you know, that, you know, all that stuff. And then, um, you know, I get back to my desk and it's like, well, what now? And, um, you know, I remember calling my wife and she said, like, she thought I was joking. <laughs> she, you know, like, are you, are you serious? And uh, I said, no, the, the good thing with the Nets was, it was usually when you let someone go is that they have like, you know, security standing there and you're ready to box up your stuff and yep. like, get you out of the office. They didn't do that with me. Uh, you know, they said, Hey, you know, take till Friday, clear out your office. Um, you'd been here so, so long here. Um, and I, and I, you know, I remember driving home and I went to the, um, diner on 46, route 46. Which one? And, I know them all. <laughs> uh, the one in Clifton. Yep. What is that? TikTok? <laughs> yeah, I know them all. Yep. And I had a big, uh, big plate of uh, cheese fries with gravy and a, and a burger and really just kind of, it was like just by myself. And then it was like, well, what now? Yeah. You know, like, what do you do? What you, you, you had done the same routine for 20 years, you drove the same way. You stopped at the same bagel place in the morning. You went to the same lunch place in the afternoon. You went to the games at night. Um, your your phone, you got emails all the day. You're trying to put fires out all the time, um, taking trade calls, talking to teams. And now you're basically like by, by yourself. And when I was in, New, in Brooklyn, 
Uh, I got to be very friendly with Mike, Mike Tannenbaum, who is now the mm-hmm. general manager of the Dolphins. Mike was working for an agent. He, he ran into some office space. And and him and myself and Omar Minaya, who was the GM of the Mets, who's wow. now back with the Mets, we, we would we would go out and have lunch um, to, um, you know, uh, in one of these places on Route 17. And we would just talk about it and, you know, about life and sports and the high pressure and I always remember them saying, like, you know, you you won't get the first taste of reality until you get let go. Like, we've been there. And I called Mike that night, and he basically – he was, like, my guide as far as what was going to happen. He said, you're going to have three different phases during this transition period. You're going to have a phase in the next week where everybody is going to call you. They are going to check in on you. They are going to want to know what we can do for you. Um, you are going to get a wave. It's going to feel like you are still working for the Nets. and uh, that will be the first wave. Your second wave is that you'll get the stragglers, the people who are on vacation, maybe just heard about it. They'll call you that that second week, he said. And then when you get to the third week, there's not going to be anybody anymore. Hmm. It's going to be your wife, your kids, um, your relatives, uh, your close friends who are just checking in on you. And, 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 and that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like a culture shock. I mean, like my phone didn't ring anymore. You know, I, and and it, for, from working for, and it was right around the draft time and that talk about, you know, jumping off the the treadmill at at the time. And, um, and I had a, um, I had about a three week period where I didn't, I didn't really do much. I, I took my kids to school and I made lunch and I, you know, picked them up and went to the gym and, um, and it was a really, it was a real reality, uh, you know, check for me. It's, uh, it's, it's like nothing else. And, and boy, did Tannenbaum really describe it. Uh, you know, he's a really good guy and a really smart guy and, uh, you know, geez, I mean, and it, and it is something that's really something, but the biggest advice that you'd give to someone that lost their job is what? Oh, don't fall off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, people won't, um, you know, people forget about you, not on purpose, just because people's lives are so busy. And, um, that, and I would say that take advantage of your network of people that you have. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, towards the end of, uh, towards the end of June, um, of, of 2015, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was still getting severance, you know, from, from the nets and I just started reaching out to people, you know, not really from a team perspective, but just from, from the, from the media side of things. And, uh, called Howard Beck, who works for Great. Bleacher Report, and Mark Stein, who worked for ESPN at the time, and now works for the New York, uh, New York Times. And and I basically just offered. Um, I said, "Hey, um, you don't have to pay me. Uh, the draft's coming up, free agency's coming up. Um, I, if you guys need anything from a media standpoint, I'm more, more willing to help. Uh, we'll do whatever you know, whatever you, you know. I'm flexible with anything." And I remember having a conversation with Mark Stein and he says, okay, let me think, uh, let me think about it and um, I'll get back to you. And I was thinking, shoot, it'll probably take about a week or 10 days to, to do so. And uh, I was driving home and Mark, like like an hour later and Mark called and he said, um, you have any interest in doing Sports Center?" And I said, like live TV? <laughs> and he said, yeah, Sports Center." And I was like, yeah, sure. And he says, okay, let me call you back and I'll get you to particulars. Uh, called me back that night and he says, all right, here's the deal. Um, if you can get to Bristol, um, we'll put you in a hotel and you can do Saturday morning sports center, like six different segments. And I was like, wow. Oh, Oh, okay. I had never done live TV before. And I remember I drove that Friday, 
to, to Connecticut and they gave me different segments and I did sports center. Um, it was right before the draft, um, that morning. And, uh, I remember the producer, you know, basically just saying, Hey, have an opinion, look at the person who's talking to you, uh, and have fun with it. And, uh, nice. I, I did it and drove home and I was like, you know what, there, there might be something here. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Um, Went down to Florida the next week, uh, and this was after the draft. And uh, the same producer who, who did the, the Saturday show said, "Hey, um, you want to come back up for um, free agency?" And I was like, "Okay, sure." And now I'm in like, okay, and they think I'm in New York, Northern Jersey, but I'm in down in uh, Southwest Florida. So I paid my airway up there. Oh, I flew from from uh, Fort Myers to Charlotte. To Bristol, did Sports Center, rented a car, drove back to Newark, uh, flew to back to um, to um, uh, Southwest Florida, and I was like, you know what, I like this. <laughs> you know, I like having not an opinion, but I like kind of breaking down how um, transactions work and the finances, and kind of giving my opinion uh, from working for the Nets for for, for so long, and then. Uh, you know, when, when free agency started in, in 2015, um, I had never, never been really on social media that much. Didn't really even have the app. I uh, had a hundred followers, let's say, because you know, when you work for a team, right. They don't, they um, don't want media. you on. Yeah, They don't want you on. <laughs> no. <laughs> All those fans are going to, they're pissed off at the game. They're going to uh, tell you how bad those coaching moves were that you guys, or those free agent acquisitions you guys made were. Well, yep. you, and you know, too, even when you follow people and you come off a loss, you don't want to hear somebody giving their opinion about your team. And you've been in that, you've been sitting there watching it yourself. Um, so I, uh, so I got on social media, I started, tweet you know using twitter and basically what i just started doing was started um breaking down transactions trades free agent signings giving the impact on how the cap worked uh, what is you know how much uh, salary does teams have to go out what should teams start targeting um just going uh going from there and my perspective on what to look for in free agency and it just started to snowball and my like a hundred followers went to a thousand, and then two, and then it, it just took off. And by mid July, I had nineteen thousand followers, and crazy? it was like you know like crazy. And um, I remember having a conversation with Woj, and um, you know, in, in during summer league in Vegas, and he said like he said uh, I'm thinking of starting this this I don't know what the name of it's going to be um, with Yahoo, um, and I think I might have a role with you. Um, you know, probably part-time somewhere. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd be interested. Yeah. I think I can, you know, maybe do that. And uh, he says, okay, I'll get in touch with you. You know, people in corporate. Um, so I flew out there to, to California in August and that night I got back to my hotel room that night and they offered me a job Isn't that <laughs> and that's how it started. Well, you know, I remember, uh, we saw each other, I think at the Orlando summer league and, uh, and, and cause I was still living in Orlando and, and I remember and saying, geez, I, I really liking the stuff you put on Twitter. And then, and then as you're breaking out on, I'm saying, this is fabulous stuff. And, uh, and I remember one day commenting on Twitter saying why any team would not hire this guy in your front office is insane because that's how good you are. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. 
Fastor bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. When when Woj started the vertical, and now you guys, you know, I thought was one of the most, you know, very similar to Monday Morning Quarterback, you know, uh, is conceptually. And, you know, when you put together a team like he did to try to cover, check every box, so to speak, to draft, now salary cap free, it was a, a, a fabulous franchise. And then now to go to ESPN with the same concept. Uh, tell me now how, as you guys are now your deadline business uh, with the trade deadline coming up. Uh, is it February 8th or whenever? Yeah, February 8th. Yeah. Okay. So now you guys are rolling. What are you looking at? And to explain to our listeners who just say, oh, yeah, trade this guy for that guy. Those days are over because it's not about talent for talent anymore, correct? Well, you're right. And, you know, basically uh, I'm not a newsbreaker. So, um, that's what you know, Woj <laughs> and Winhorse and those guys, yep. um, you know, those, Brian Winhorse who covers and Ramona Shelburne, those are more newsbreakers, people who write stories. And I, and I made that clear when, even when I went to the vertical and, uh, to ESPN that, um, because I have, I want to keep my contacts Good intact. That's a I don't want to, um, you know, you know, get information and then break it. And I, and I don't, I didn't want to do that because you know, maybe there's a day when there's an opportunity to go back in the front office is there. And I didn't want to, I don't want to ruin that. And they were both, both companies were, were, were great with that. But, but basically what I'm doing besides, you know, writing is that, you know, I'm talking to teams every day and I'm talking to agents every day and not about, well, who you traded, you know, or what do you, you know, like, like, um, you know, Hey, um, what do you, what do you, you know, what talk, tell me, talk to me about your team. You know, what do you, what do you need? If I if you had a wish list of things, what do you need? You need a uh, a backup point guard, and um, and that's really just how the the conversation um, goes. And you know, just really just talking to teams on a on a day to day basis. And as far as you know, um, you know, hey, um, you guys are going to be in the tax next year. Would you be willing to give up a first round pick this year? And they say, no, nah, we don't want to do that. You know, because we you know we we need our roster flexibility. So it gives me a, a mm-hmm. good pers- um, a mindset. That when there is a trade to be made, that I already have the information that I can go on TV or I can go on radio or, or do a podcast and say, all right, this is why they did it. And this is what they were thinking of. And, um, you know, why did Chicago trade Jimmy Butler last year? And, you know, everybody jumped over Gar and Pax and they got, you yeah. know, Markinen and um, Zach Levine and Chris Dunn and stuff. But now when you look at it um, and you break it down, it, 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 it made sense. So that that's kind of 
the goal is, is that to you know to do my research now before February eighth. That's so when I'm prepared, or if there's a deal today, maybe George Hill gets traded. You know, in the next couple of days, I can say, well, this is why Sacramento did it, and this is why Cleveland did it. Um, not just because we're looking at you know st- uh, stats here. You know, when uh, when the team, you know, it, and the Cleveland, you know, being the team that you mentioned as a team that now, you know, everyone's you know is in panic mode, and so they have to do something. And, you know, the hear about, you know, the trades, you know, I heard someone the other day come on one of the shows and said, an ESPN show, and said, you know, maybe maybe they should uh, get Anthony Davis, you know. <laughs> and I'm like going, you know, no, you don't even do Anthony Davis for LeBron. I mean, like, you know, so I mean, like, you know, people and, and, and you know, forget poor my friend Dan Gilbert's poor tax bill, uh, you know, I mean. How do how do you explain that to people that are on the outside? I mean, because the tax in itself and the CBA is is inc- is incredible. Well, yeah, I mean, I think when you know people are at home and they're on the trade machine and they're looking at, I think you have to look at it how how does it benefit each team? Okay, how does it benefit Cleveland? Uh, how would it benefit New Orleans? How would it benefit, let's say? Sacramento, if it's if we're talking about you know George Hill here, so you know there's a uh, there's different components from a from a front office perspective. There's the on court performance as far as how does it impact our locker room, our rotations, who we're sending out, chemistry on the court product, and then there then there is how does it impact our finances? Uh, how does it impact our salary, our luxury tax? You know, taking you know taking George Hill on is not is not cheap. You know, it's going to cost you about another $9 million in a luxury tax. So that's one of the things that if you are a front office and that's not where you really get the coaches involved, your front office and your ownership, is it, is that worth, is it worth that? Um, let's look at it long-term now. Now, you know, it's not, they're not expiring contracts. How does it impact the summer of 2018? What happens if LeBron James leaves and we've got George Hill stuck on a contract for $19.8 million? So you've got to look at it the short-term which is, you know, right now. Uh, and then you've got to look at it from a, from a big picture perspective. Um, if George Hill does not work out, uh, does he have value to be traded, uh, traded again? So I think there's all different, you know, medical, uh, we got to take in a medical. I know we're using George as an example, but that's kind of the, the hot topic right now. A medical guy hadn't really been healthy in Utah, had a toe issue. Um, is it more of just a situation in Sacramento or has he lost a step? So, uh, and then you're relying on your personnel guys. You know, your personnel guys are out there doing all the, the you know, the legwork. They're doing the background on these pro guys. They're out there in the arenas watching guys. Uh, you're looking at um, reports almost like you're doing the college draft again. So uh, there's a lot of a lot to um, to kind of bring in here. Talk about, if you would, uh, to educate some of our listeners on the two-way contract this year and how that it has entered into it. I'm a huge. I think I am like the the, the king of the two way because <laughs> I talk about it a lot. And I think, you know, we had this new CBA that got signed uh, last January. We're in year one of it. The two way contract is something that was introduced here. Uh, a lot of teams and agents were hesitant as far as how this was going to impact teams. And uh, each team has, you know, you've got two two way contracts that you you can have on your roster, and it, it's a you're paying at a basically higher premium than. Um, a, a player that is actually playing in, in, in the G League right now. And um, so basically you, you, you bring that player to camp. 
Um, you, he's either on a two-way contract or you can convert a, a camp uh, contract to two-way. Um, you've got 45 days that that player can be with your organization um, past October 23rd. Uh, from a game perspective, uh, we've seen teams like uh, the Clippers really kind of keep that team afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically you're, the 45 days, you're, you're paid about you know $4,500 a, a day. Uh, you could probably make between $200,000 to $250,000 on a two-way, which is great based because you're in, when you're in a G League, you're probably making thirty. Forty thousand uh, dollars, and you can go back and forth. So you kind of shuttle, um, and you and that player already has a familiarity as far as hey, he's been there with you in training camp. What what the G League team coach is running, um, their principles there is is probably there's some familiarity, um, and it and it saved it. As I said, it saved a lot of teams. The the problem is that what happens when your 45 days are over mm. now these players and their agents do they do not want to go back to the g league you know you've you've had that taste of the nba life and you've had the charters um, and the per diem yeah, <laughs> yeah you've gotten everything you want to be riding the bus back you know going from um you know city city to city or riding um going commercial um there so that's where you you started to see a lot of uh we had, we saw a lot of turnover in um you know mid-january here because january 15th was the last day to sign a two-way player so so basically what teams were doing that guys were con- days were expiring they would release that player um then they would go out and get another uh, two-way guy the days get prorated during the season so if you're if you're signing a guy in, in mid-january instead of having 45 days before the season started now you're looking at you know, somewhere around, you know, 21, 22, 21 or 22 days. So, uh, but they've been a huge help. It's another developmental tool. Uh, some teams have used them more just um, to develop and stay with their G League team. You know, teams like the Clippers, we've seen uh, Houston with uh, Briante Weber, who was there. Um, you know, they've had, you know, an impact, um, you know, on, on the game. Yeah, I think I think it's great, and it's something long overdue. And I can't wait till they get to thirty teams, so that every team has one. I think it'll really help. Now, as a as a front office guy with the Nets, you are involved in sixty plus trades, <laughs> which is which when you think about it is absolutely staggering. You know, let alone all the first round, second round picks you signed, et cetera, and free agents. Uh, what do you expect? What do you, how much movement do you think we're going to have around deadline? I, I think it's going between to between now and deadline. Let's say, yeah, I, I and we've got two weeks. Uh, I think it's going to be. I think it's really going to be active. I, I really do. Um, but you've got to keep a mindset is that that team out west in Northern California is still a monster. Mm-hmm. So, how much of your chips are you willing to push in? Do you think you have a shot of chasing them? I don't think anybody does. Maybe Houston, if, if the Rockets can stay in one piece. Uh, I think the East is going to be fascinating just because I think the East is going to be there for the taking this year. If yep. Cleveland can't get their, you know, uh, everything uh, lined up. So, now you look at Boston, Cleveland. Uh, I don't think Toronto will be active. I think they're content with their team. Washington, Milwaukee, uh, Detroit, Philly, you know, Indiana. Those are all the teams that are all kind of, you know, jumped in here. I think Detroit is a, is a fascinating team to watch um, just based on how they started the season yeah. and where they are right now. I think this home stand uh, can either sink or, or let them swim to, to, uh, to the, to the, um, 
to the playoffs here uh, has not started off good, but they've got a lot of decisions to make. You right. know, that would be another year that they don't make the playoffs and they've got a, a high payroll also. Um, so I think that's a team to watch. Um, Milwaukee with a new, uh, with Joe Prunty as an interim coach. Uh, they were already active with the Bledsoe trade. Um, Boston has sputtered a little bit here. Um, mm-hmm. Are you content with the roster? Do you think Gordon Hayward will be back? They've got an $8.4 million uh, disability player uh, exception. Uh, and then, of course, Cleveland. You know, Cleveland with the Brooklyn pick is fascinating. And I was, uh, it's almost like that Nets pick is like watching a stock. You know, yes. there are some days yes. that, some days it's like it's like great value, you know. Let's sell, great value, and then you look, and then there's some days they're like it's like a distressed asset. Yeah. And that Nets team uh, plays hard every night. Uh, you saw them against yep. Oklahoma City, um, you yep. know, on um, on Monday night or Tuesday night. Um, they're going to be in that uh, eight to nine range, but they also could be in a five in that five range because there's not much separation. So what do you, what is your value? That is your insurance policy of LeBron James leaves in the off season, or it's an insurance policy that you can sell him on staying. Um, so that is a fascinating, uh, thing, thing to watch just because you know, where that, where that pick is, it's not, it's not one, two or three right now. So, uh, I think there's a, you know, you can certainly have a debate within the, uh, the, the Cavaliers organization as far as, you know, what, what to do with that. So, uh, I do think it will be active. You know, sometimes we only, we, we hear a lot of talk and then we only get some of those like salary dumps, you know, guys, uh, you know, getting moved for cash or second round picks. Do we have a guy like, uh, th- th- let's just take, since we're on the Cavs, the Cavs roster, and this is totally unbiased from a professional opinion, uh, they don't have a lot of assets. Uh, Kevin Love happens to be kind of an asset, right? You know, he's an all-star. His salary's high, but it, but he's an all-star. Uh, you know, but how do you move your second best player? <laughs> uh, do you consider a low-salary player an Isaiah Thomas? Is there a market to even move him based on how poorly he's playing? Uh, otherwise, they don't really have many assets to trade because of age and performance fair and salary of course <laughs> well no you're i mean that's you're right on i mean you look at the roster and and uh you know i i don't know if you were on, i think you might have been on with david griffin and i uh, yes. was talking you know and he had a great line he said basically there's too many mouths to feed <laughs> you know i mean if you look at their 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 um their great roster line. You know, outside of the rookie, Sede uh, Osman, who's you know, played a little bit here, all those guys think they can play and all they think and they want to play. Yeah. So how you how do you try to figure out from a minute's perspective there? You're trying to integrate Isaiah back. Um, you know, last night uh, again, you know, against San Antonio. I mean, he is three steps slower right now. It's not the uh, truth. I mean, it, it really is. Um, so. What do you what do you do with that that roster? You've got you've got the Nets pick and you've got your own pick. You can't trade both. So uh, you've got you know one or the other. That's your value. You've got a five point million dollar uh, trade exception, but with that comes with a tax bill that would would add on to that. Uh, you you've got a pick that is going out to Atlanta next year based on the Corver trade there. So when you look at that lineup, you know you're looking at you know let's you take LeBron off. You, you, you remove uh, Kevin Love, so those are two guys there. Now you are looking at J.R. Smith, who I don't think has any value right now. I really don't right. uh, from a contractual perspective. Sure. Uh, uh, Channing Fry does because it's an expiring contract. Yep. 
Uh, Shumpert's got a player. That's my draft choice. Remember with the Knicks, Channing Fry, my eighth yeah. pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've got Shumpert on a player option. Uh, Corver's got a you know manageable contract. Isaiah's expiring. I mean, you can go down the um, you know Tristan Thompson. Yeah. Uh, I think if the if he if his contract lined up with DeAndre Jordan, Tristan's got one more year. Then I think that's something that maybe would interest the, you know the, the Clippers there, but it, it doesn't because of that third that third year. So um, it would interest you, the Kardashians, yeah, well, I know, <laughs> to get them home. <laughs> Yeah, and you're you know, and you're the oldest team in the uh, in the NBA. So yeah, um, and you're, you're and there's you know the the pressure is on to to try to get a deal because you've got LeBron's free agency hanging over you. Um, so it's it's not it's not easy decisions to say, you know, hey, let's just move the Brooklyn pick. Well, wait a minute here. Well, what mm. happens if we move the Brooklyn pick? Um, let's say for Kemba Walker and, and Nicholas Batum and Walker walks in two years. And now we're stuck with Batum for 25 and $26 million. Wow. You, you know, you've got to, those are all the different decisions that you have to, to think about, or, you know, or let's, let's move the Brooklyn pick and, um, you know, uh, Fry and Shumpert for, um, you know, DeAndre Jordan and then DeAndre opts out on LeBron leaves. And now you've got nothing. And so it's 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 not an easy uh, it's and you've got a rookie GM. There, I was just going to say, a big and, fan of and, yeah, and Kobe is yep. fabulous, and yep. that's a rookie guy could be an ex GM if he makes the wrong moves, and that, yep. you know, which is really really hard. And a smart yep. kid, really smart guy. Wow, there's so much to be going now. I I I, I I'm so happy for you though because you're doing what you love. And I think that's something that we want every uh, person that, you know, whether they're a coach or, you know, they, they get into a leadership position to do. And, uh, Bobby, I, I couldn't be happier for you, man. This is this is exciting. Uh, and and you're doing great. And uh, I love listening to you all the time on radio. And a good thing to announce, people can follow you at what? At Bobby Marks, right? Yeah, at, uh, yeah, at Bobby Marks uh, 42. And we got that from 100 <laughs> followers up to like 82,000. So that, that's worked out pretty good, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's been, it's been a good ride so far. And, and what I would tell your listeners too, like people who are uh, in sports or coaching, you know, don't, don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. You know, if and, if and if sometimes, you know, change is, is good and, you know, don't be afraid, afraid to go out and, uh, and take chances on things because, it, it, you know, sometimes it works out for the best. Well, I'll tell you what, that is great advice. And I want you to go back and become an NBA GM because that's what you deserve. <laughs> but if not, you're going to you're crushing that on this end and you're working for one of my favorite, favorite people with Woj. And so enjoy, Bobby. And thanks for taking the time. I know our listeners really appreciate it. Thanks, Brent. I appreciate it. You know, I think one of the really neat things about it, when I get excited about learning from someone as much as i know about the nba as much time as i've spent in the front office of the nba to listen to someone like bobby as an expert and explain to the things just before trade deadline i think you're going to see some of the things that are going to happen in the next time short time before the trade deadline coming out and i think it's a real treat but i think his message also on change is something that all of us need to hear i've had to go through it And you know what? Some of the best things happen when you go through change. Till next week, the coach, Brendan Sir. 